It's good to be here. Thank you guys for having me. My name is Tammy Ma. Um, I'm going to start off with a little prayer. I know we've been praying for the past 48 hours, but one more won't hurt, right? All right. So, Lord, we love you. We love the way that you move. You have freedom to move here any which way you want to, God. We love you. We, we just, we're so thankful for your presence. We're thankful for what you're doing here, God. And we say more, more, Lord. Don't stop. Don't hold back anything from us, God. We love you. We pray that you'd anoint our hearts this morning. Amen. So, um, I came, I'm going to just share my story with you. I've been in South Asia for the past 23 and a half, 24 years. Um, so I'm probably going to slip up and say it anyway, but I've been in India. So I don't know if anybody's ever been to India, but that's where I've been living. Um, I came to Christ after being an atheist. I came from a broken home. I was on my own at a young age, 16 years old. Um, I was a secular humanistic atheist. I'd never been to church in my life, not even once. Went to the University of Georgia, uh, met some friends and uh, connected with a ministry there called the Wesley Foundation and, and kind of began hearing stories about Jesus and I thought they were full of it. And I was cynical and I made fun of them and I made people cry. <laughs> but over, over a season of time, uh, obviously that story's not ended or I wouldn't be here, right? But so I, I ended up um, coming to Christ at the, at, the, at the University of Georgia and I was so unchurched that the campus pastor there, he um, gave me a book called Atheism. And he said, I hope you find uh, a shattered vestige. And he said, I hope you find the answers you're looking for. And he wrote J-E-R dot 29 colon 11 dash 13. And I literally had no idea what, he, what that meant. I was so unchurched that I actually thought it was a Christian code. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, like, what does this mean? Like, am I going to like... Something's going to happen, and suddenly I'm going to understand what this J-E-R dot two nine eleven dash 13 What the heck? Who talks this way? You know, and it took me a little while, but I did figure out that it was a scripture. So early on in my, in my walk with Jesus, um, almost immediately I began seeing miracles. And uh, it wasn't that I was incredibly, um, had an incredible amount of faith. It was just that God was somehow just crazy faithful to me. I began praying, and every single thing I prayed came to pass. Literally, I would be praying, God, I, I need $200 for class, and there would be a $200, 200, $200 bills on the ground under a rock on, at the University of Georgia as I'm walking. And this thing just kept, it just happened with regularity. My very first answer prayer as a brand new Christian was, God, I could use a, I could use a job. I'm student teaching. It was, my, it was my junior year. I'm student teaching. I need to make a lot of money, God. But God, can you give me a job where I could just work a few hours? And I had just read... For the first time, Philippians 4.19. So I thought, oh, I can just ask God for what I need. You see, I wasn't, didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know that you're not supposed to like, take that literally. <laughs> and so I literally was praying in the chair, sitting in my, in, my, in my apartment, and I said, I'd like a job. I'd like to make a lot of money and work a few hours. The phone rings while I'm saying amen. I pick it up. It's a friend. Tammy, I was just thinking of you. Do you need a job where you can make a lot of money and just work a few hours? <laughs> and I said, I said something I shouldn't have said because I was a new Christian. <laughs> but I took the job. It was, I worked at a, at, a, at a church as a children's pastor, which was funny because I went for the interview and I was like, I've never been to church. But I love Jesus and I love kids, you know, and so I got hired. 
And I would be with the kids. I would be the, you know, with the little like, you know, third graders and being like, y'all, Daniel was in the lion's den. And they were just like, we know, we've heard it four times, five times, we heard it. They were so bored and I was like, I don't think you freaking understand how big this is. He was in the lion's den, you know, so that's, that's, that's kind of my story, but God, early on, early on in my walk with Jesus, I saw all these miracles and, and, I, and I felt, I went up to, to the campus pastor, he's here, Tom Tanner, and I went up to him and I said, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to go and sign up for, to be a Christian Peace Corps worker or whatever it is. I want to work in, in developing nations with kids at risk and I want to share the gospel. So where do I sign up for the Christian Peace Corps? And that's when I heard, that's when I heard the word, um, I heard the word missionary for the first time. I had no idea what that meant. Now, of course, now we call it um, cross-cultural worker, but same, same, right? So that's, that was my calling. I didn't even know the word. I just knew that I wanted to go and work with at-risk kids in another country and in, in a developing nation. And so ended up coming to Asbury Seminary. I thought, that I, I thought that I knew what I needed to know. I'd been a Christian for a few months, right? <laughs> but I had to learn some more. So same things continued at seminary. Uh, again and again and again, every single need was met. Every single need. I mean, my car broke down one time. I needed a new alternator. I drove this piece of junk car, and I, I needed a new alternator. And I went and I had it, like, estimate. And they were like, it's going to be $78.15. And I was like, oh, how am I going to get $78.15? I go to the SPO, the post office. I open it up. There's a check in there from a friend. I'm so sorry. I was making bills this morning, and I just, God put you on my heart to send you a check. And I meant to write you a check but for some reason, I wrote you this really crazy amount, and it's really odd, but I'm just sending it. Guess how much it was for? $78.15. And this kind of stuff happened all the way through seminary, and Greg can attest to that, like going to the SPO moment after moment and finding um, exactly what I needed every single month when a payment was due, and never really making the needs known to other people, but just praying. And so I went through seminary with more, never more than $100 in my bank account three years of seminary, and I was debt-free. That's crazy. So I'm going to speak today about something that God's kind of taught me through, through life and, in, and into India, and it's uh, this concept of contending prayer, and, and I feel like it's just a continuation of what you guys are already doing. You know, it's, not, it's, it's something that's already happening, so it's just a natural flow, contending prayer. And so a lot of us don't really know what that looks like. I've had lots of teams come to, to, to visit me in India, and a lot of times I'll say things like, have you thought about just like wrestling with God and contending for that thing you're believing for? And some of them would say, well, I'm not wired that way. Or they would just look at me with a blank look sometimes. And, and, and I realize that in our culture right now, Amazon Prime, Instacart, you know, drive through, it doesn't lend itself to waiting on God, does it? Because we don't wait for anything here in the U.S., well, that's not the experience of you know, the rest of the world necessarily, but here in the U.S. I can say, and I, I've been here a few months, and I can, and I can kind of say I kind of like Amazon Prime. <laughs> and I like being able to go to a drive-thru and getting stuff right away, but that's not really, you know, it doesn't really lend itself to patience, which is something that God wants to teach us. The picture I have in my head and my heart when I speak about contending prayer is, is Jacob and him wrestling with God and saying, you know, in Genesis, in Genesis 32, I won't let go till you bless me. You know, I won't let go till you bless me. Just wrestling with God. And that's kind of the picture I have, wrestling with God that way. I won't let go till I have a breakthrough. And so these own seasons have defined me in, in life and at Georgia, at Asbury, 
and now in India, and even today you know, here in, in America. So I'd like to share with you a few stories just to kind of give you a picture of contending prayer. Is that good? Okay, I'm a storyteller. I have 46 kids. I don't know if that was mentioned when he said that, but I have 46 kids. My youngest is here with me. She's 14. And my oldest is a church planter in South India. So um, I love to tell stories. And I might revert into broken English, and that's okay, right? Because that's okay. So I had a, one of my, the first things I think I saw uh, in India early, early on, um, I felt like God was calling us to start a home. I emailed my, uh, my mission organization at the time, and I said, hey, I feel like God's telling me and these two Indian friends I've met to start a home. We need $2,000. Is there any chance $2,000? Because last week I had 80. And they immediately emailed back. I had to walk to an email cafe to do this. And I was still in the email cafe. And they immediately wrote back and said, you won't believe this. But a random person from South Carolina has given you $2,000 today. And we were so surprised when we saw the check. And so that's how we started our home. And in that season, we just saw miracle after miracle of provision. One of the early miracles that really was, was so fun to watch was one of my little girls. She was, this wasn't fun, I guess, but she was really sick. And she, had a, she just shot up with a high fever. Now, we're in, in the middle of India. It's two um, Indian sisters and myself and a few of our children. And we're in this house, and there's literally, we don't have a vehicle. It's the middle of the night, and there's no Uber, you know. And we're like, how do we get her to the hospital? Her fever's going up. It's 102. It's 103. It's 104. And then it hit 105. Well, I was pretty young at that time, and I was a little clueless. And so I didn't have any pediatric medicine, you know. And so we didn't have any medicine. We didn't have a refrigerator to get cold water. We didn't have a vehicle to get her to the hospital. But we had prayer. And I remember, you know, I don't know if they have these anymore, but there's these stick-on thermometers. Have you ever seen them? You stick them on the head, and they light up. Okay, that, that used to be a thing. So we had the stick-on thermometer on her head, and it's just going up, 104, 105. And all I remember thinking was, I heard somewhere that somebody got 106 temperature, and they went blind, and they started having seizures. And, and so, you know, well, sure enough, her fever gets to 106. And we're just praying, and we can't do anything. We can't go anywhere. It's not safe. It's the middle of the night. The area we lived in wasn't safe to go out for women to go out in the middle of the night. And plus, everything was too far away. We didn't have a vehicle. So we're praying and praying. And I remember kneeling beside her, and my tears just falling on her. And I said, you know, Jesus, please heal her. Please heal her. We prayed, 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 you know, for a good solid, um, you know, 10 minutes. And then, you know, my tears falling on her, and, and her fever's just climbing. It's 106.1, 106.2. And at one point during the, during the prayer, we just saw it just go 106, 105, 104, 103, 102, 101, 100, 98.5 in a matter of like 15 seconds. And then she opened her eyes and said, Jesus touched me. <laughs> and she was four. And uh, that, that same year was our very first Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, at 9 o'clock in the morning, my kids came up to me and said, we want crackers. And I was thinking, okay. Crackers, it means fireworks. Um, and I said, Okay. Well, it's Christmas Eve morning, 9 o'clock. I don't know what we're going to do. And we don't have any money. We can't get Christmas. We can't do it. Tama, you must go to the store today and you must buy us the crackers. And I said, guys, we don't have any money. If you want crackers, go ask your father in heaven. <laughs> so guess what? My kids did. At that time, there was about 12 of them uh, at that, in the age group. They were like eight, 7 years old through maybe 11 years old. And, um, and they just got in a little circle. 
Yesupa, Jesus, you can only give us the crackers. You can only, it is your birthday, Jesus. Everybody else is getting crackers. <laughs> it is our first Christmas and we want it to be special for you. So you please give us the crackers today. <laughs> Amen. You know, they pray. Three o'clock, Christmas Eve. Here, a knock on the door. Go to the front door. There's a box that's been delivered by the post office. It's wrapped in tar and burlap and rope. And I'm like, huh. And it smelled from South India. And the kids go, it's the crackers. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, baby, it's probably not the crackers. Because it's illegal to send explosives to the, to the mail system. <laughs> no, Tema, you know it's the crackers. Jesus did it. And I said, well, you know, I mean, whatever it is, we're going to be thankful for it. And so we get knives and we start cutting and the kids are like, it's the crackers, Tema's teasing us nicely, you know. And we open it up, chock full of fireworks, <laughs> crackers, M80s, mini dynamite, <laughs> flash bombs, smoke bombs, you name it, it was all in there. And I just sat there, you know, and the kids, one of my boys, he said, oh, Tema, you're teasing us. No, you knew Jesus would do this thing. No. And I was like, yeah, I knew, baby, I knew. <laughs> so um, my kids think I'm a spiritual giant because of that, but I, I had no idea. Confession, by the way, my kids are watching right now in India. And so y'all, so this is, you know, they've been watching in India, so that's pretty amazing. So hi, guys. Love y'all. And um, miss you. So I say kids, but most of them are grown. And so I have a, a four kids in college and, uh, and six high schoolers. And then my youngest here. And the rest are grown and married and in ministry and doing amazing things all over, all over India. So we've seen a lot of miracles. We've seen contending prayer. And it's always linked with contending prayer. Almost always. Our building, our furniture, musical instruments that God gave us, rescued children. Again and again, contending prayer. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in this area of contending prayer. So I'm giving you a picture of what it means to fight. Some, it doesn't mean you have to pray you know, for 16 hours straight, sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's 16 years, you know, and so, but, but continuing prayer is just that fighting for God, I'm not going to stop until I have a breakthrough. I think God wants to develop this in us, this spiritual fortitude, this perseverance, you know, this kind of uh, stamina, I guess, and so three things that God has kind of taught us uh, over the years in India that I'd like to share with you. And so the first one is to pray without ceasing, to pray without ceasing. And I guess you guys know the verse for that, most of y'all. First Thessalonians 5.12, anybody know what it says for a thousand points? What does it mean? First Thessalonians 5.12, what does it say? Pray without ceasing, you get a thousand points. And points aren't worth anything. Pray without ceasing, and that's pretty obvious, right? So I have a, a couple of stories I'd love to share with you. The first one is, is about one of our girls. Her name is Narmada, and she was about four years old when she came to us. And she'd been with us about six or eight months. And a social worker had brought her to our home. After the death of her, uh, of her, of her father and, and her uh, earthly mother being really sick and kind of in the last stages of, of a disease. And so she, she ended up coming to our home, just fell in love with her. She's the sweetest thing ever. We, she's a little drama queen. And uh, she was about four or five years old. She'd been in our home maybe six or eight months. And her biological mother shows up and says, I want Narmada back. 
And we don't mind family, re- family reunification. We've done it with other kids. But not in this way, because she, the next sentence out of her mouth was this. I have a buyer. Yeah, I, I have somebody to buy her. And I'm going to sell her because you understand I'm a single mother. I'm about to die. I have a son. And I can't leave him penniless. I can't leave him without rupees. And so I feel like this is the right thing to do. And you know, she, wasn't, she, was, she was not an evil woman at all. She was, she was a sweet woman. But she said, I, and we said, no, 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 you know, let's, let's, not, let's talk about this. What can we do? Can we help your son? Can we help him? Can we put him in school? Can we, what can we do? He was with some relations about six or seven hours away. And she said, no, I just want her. Just give her to me. And so we got the authorities involved, and we fought. And, but it was to no avail. And they said, she has to go with her mother. And if you don't let her go, we're going to close your home down. Horrible choice to have, right? You let this three or four, five-year-old little girl, you know, definitely for nefarious reasons, to be released. But we had to. And we watched her walk away. And we were in tears, broken. And I stood, I stood there at the gate and I said, God, what are you doing? And he asked me, Tammy, what are you doing? I said, I asked you first. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't really say that. I wanted to say that. I was scared to say that. Um, and so he said, he said, what are you doing? And he said, fight for her. And I was like, God, we did. We, we called this authority. We did this with the social workers, the lawyers, the police. God, you know, we have fought for her. And God was like, come on, Tammy. And I was like, oh, fight for her. Okay. And so we just began praying in circles of three or four or 10 or 20 Every meal, we fasted many times at dinner time. We didn't eat dinner. This went on for, for days, 14 days. God, would you do a miracle? Would you bring her back home? My little three-year-old, Jasupa, you can only bring her back, God. It is not good for her to be sold. You know, and we're just praying and praying and praying and praying and praying without ceasing. I mean, I'm confident that we gave God a headache if, that, if such a thing were possible because we did not leave him alone for two weeks. Around the, around the two-week mark, one of my boys comes up to me and says, you can eat, we can eat tonight. She's on her way back home. And I looked at him, and he was probably 12, he's probably 14 years old, and I said, what do you mean? He said, I saw her in a vision. I saw Narmada and her mother walking down this road, and God told me, Tammy Ma will be the first one to see her, and it will be before her birthday. This was January 22nd when he had this vision. My birthday is January 26th. So we went, and we ate. Cooked food, and we said, thank you, God, for bringing her home. It wasn't a name it, claim it thing. It was something supernatural. It wasn't a, it wasn't a human made, we name it, she's back in the name of Jesus, thank you, God. She wasn't back, that's the truth. But we, it was a, a supernatural, prophetic um, proclamation, I guess. Does that make sense? So um, we prayed, we said, thanks, God. January 25th, standing outside the gate, I see Narbada and her mother walking back. And I just started crying, ran and hugged her, just picked her up and kissed her. And, I, and her mother said, I don't know what happened to me. I was seven hours away. I was intent on selling her. And a giant cloud covered me. I don't know how to tell you. It was kind of dark and scary. And it pushed me back to your gate, seven hours away. And that's how she came back to us. And she's now a junior in college. How about that? Pray without you. Now... Another, another story is, is about my sister, Tabby. Uh, I have a twin sister. 
I told you guys I had, well, it was from a broken home. I hadn't seen her in years. And I've been writing to her and writing to her, and we never could connect, and she never really responded, and it just wasn't clicking. And I came on sabbatical here. That was about 11 years ago. And I came on sabbatical here. And while I was here, I, I felt like God wanted me to get in touch with her, so I tried to, and I finally did. And I got in touch with her, and I was, she's, she's just like me, twin sister, identical twin, but she had a, you know, a blue mohawk, and she has tattoos all the way from head to foot. A big tattoo here that says Gypsy on her head. Her name was, you know, she called herself that Gypsy. And, uh, and so I began sharing with her about Jesus, and she shared with me about her story and where she'd been. And I, well, I fast forward a little bit, sorry. I went to fly out to see her. She was in California. And so we began talking, began sharing, and I was astounded to hear her story. She was astounded to hear my story. And, she lit, and I, what you don't know is that for 16 years, I had been praying for her. God, would you, would you show, her your, show her yourself? Show her the truth. God, bring her to yourself. I mean, I have never contended for anything so, hard, so, so long in my life. Uh, you know, I prayed for her constantly. I didn't pray for her every single day, but I prayed for her consistently for 16 years without, without ever seeing her, without having any encouragement, without seeing any fruit. And on this day when I met her, she literally said to me, tell me how to be saved. The fruit was literally falling off the tree. I just had to, like, touch it. And that, the fruit was happening because of 16 years of contending. And so she literally said, tell me how to be saved. I want this. And, I, and I'm kind of a weird person. I'm like, you know, it's all or nothing. I don't know if you really do want it. You know, I don't make it easy for people. <laughs> you know, and she's like, yeah, I do, I do. I was like, I don't know. Like, let's, maybe you should sleep on it and think about it some more. And she's like, but, but no, I, I want to know. Like, how do I, you know. And so I told her, and we prayed together. And I could sense that she was like 80% in, but 20% having reservations. But she, she gave her life to Jesus in that moment. But it just didn't feel 100% real to me. And I only had 24 hours with her because I had an engagement that I had to speak at in, in, in Georgia. And so I sat there and I was thinking, oh, no. you know. So I talked to her a little bit more and I thought, okay, I'm going to try to find some more time to come see her in a few, in a, in a few months. I was here for six months in America. And she literally, she literally um, got on, she got on an airplane. She was flying to Arizona, and I was um, flying back to Georgia. I fell asleep on the airplane, and I had a dream. In the dream, I saw Jesus sit next to my sister. And she just started crying, and he just hugged her. And I was so happy. So I get, she's in, in the plane, he's sitting with her. So I get back, and I, I said, Tabby, is there anything you want to tell me? And she said, what do you mean? I said, anything happened on the plane? She goes, how the... Do you know? <laughs> and I said, I had a dream. She goes, are you kidding me? You know? And, um, and, um, and she, I said, yeah. She, she says, it happened. While she was on the plane, she felt the presence of Jesus next to her. And she literally gave her life fully to him, the other 20, 30% that she hadn't given, you know, 100% redeemed in that moment on the airplane. Bef and, and here's the coolest thing. My sister has led in her lifetime, 10 years of following Jesus, 11 years of following Jesus, about 150 people to Christ. And I was talking to her this morning, and, and I was asking her some details about some things, and she said, and we, I asked her, how many people have you been used, because you, you've had a really strong part in healing and, and praying for people to be healed, and you've seen a lot of miracles in that way. And that's been, she said, maybe over 300 people that she's prayed for that has been healed 
Yeah. So contending prayer, guys, the fruit, it's crazy. The second point is to pray without doubt, to pray without doubt. This is a revelation that, that God kind of showed me. You guys have read, I think the verse was just read, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, right? How many in this room right now, I know theologically you're like, I'm righteous by the blood of Jesus, but how many of you actually kind of feel righteous? You know? Okay, so, so it's, 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 it's rare, right? And when I read that verse, I was like, wait a second. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. What about me? What are my prayers like? Are they kind of good and okay and sometimes strong? You know, if I had to read that for myself. But God led me to Genesis where it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what does that mean? Is that like a light bulb for us? Abraham believed God and is credited as righteousness. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Therefore, the prayers of a believing person are powerful and effective. And God loves to be believed. I mean, and the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Abraham believed God and he was considered God's friend. And something inside of me took off that day. I was already kind of believing God for a lot, but it was like next level. I I, I have... I can honestly say to you, I have hardly any difficulty believing God for almost anything under the sun. And it's because of this verse that it was kind of unleashed in me. It's it's not that I have to be perfect. It's just that I have to believe. And guess what? Read the story of Abraham. His belief was not perfect. I mean, he went out and slept with Hagar. His belief wasn't ever perfect. You know, and and not only that, but he even asked God, God said, I promised this and I promised that. He's like, well, how God can I, can I, can I believe you? How can I, how can I know this is true? So he, he was even questioning, you know. So it's not that you have to have perfect belief. God is happy with just belief, right? Just believing him. And so the prayers of a believing person are powerful and effective. I have a couple of stories. One is uh, um, one of my kids, let's see. His name is Kidden. I've already talked about him. I'm, I'm bragging about him. He's going to get a big head in India and be a, thinking he's all that, but I'm going to go with it. So he, uh, he basically was going to be taken back by his paternal uncle through a social worker. Same kind of scenario. The authorities were involved. The paternal uncle had cust- could get custody because he never signed him over after the death of the parents. Him and his little brother, Arun. And at the time, he was probably 12. His brother was 10. And they said, this uncle is coming to get these boys. He doesn't want them. He lived in a very rural uh, village in North India, in, in the northern part of our state. And he said, I need these boys. They're big now. They can work on the farm. They don't need to go to school. I need workers. I have every right to, to get them. And the boys were doing great. They were in school, and they wanted to, you know, had all these dreams of the future. And he said, I'm coming to get them. And the social worker said, there's nothing you can do. I'm bringing him on the train. He'll, he's landing at the train on Sunday. Have the kids packed and ready to go. It doesn't matter if he sends them to school or not. It doesn't matter if he uses them as slave labor. It's his right. He's a paternal uncle. And I was heartbroken. And our son, Kitten, led us, the one that was going to be sent away. And I, and I was torn. Do I get him packed? Do I get him ready? You know, do I, do I, do I kind of, you know, prep the two boys? Hey, this might happen. This, is, this, this, and this. And, and I just felt like God was saying, just go, believe. And Kitten was leading the way. Believing God for a miracle. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, we fasted and prayed. God, do a miracle. And the whole time, Kidden is smiling. He's not crying. He's not sweating. He's not worried. He's like, God is doing it. God will do it. And he said, I'm not going anywhere. 
12 years old, 14 years old, 12 years old, and their little brother was 10 years old. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And so we prayed. Thursday night, fasted and prayed. Friday night, fasted and prayed. Now his uncle's coming on Sunday morning. And I'm torn, like, what do I do? But, but I just felt to, to take his lead and to pray without doubt. On Saturday night, we're praying in this little bitty room, sweating, praying, God, do a miracle. And I'm, you know, I'm praying with all my heart, and he's just sitting there. It's okay, God's going to do it. And then 10 minutes into the prayer time, he says, oh, let's eat now. Uh, this is the same one that wanted to eat when Narmada. So he said, let's eat. Go tell auntie she can cook us food now because we're going to eat because I, I said, what, what happened? What's going on? And he said, oh, I, I just was praying and I saw a drop of blood come from the cross onto my uncle's head before he got on the train. And he said, oh, I changed my mind. And he just turned around and, and, and walked off. And so this was Saturday night. On Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, they don't show up, the social worker and the uncle. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Finally, we get a call. You're not going to believe this, Tammy, but the uncle was getting ready to board the train, you know, 10, 12 hours away. And he changed his mind. He said, the boys can stay with you forever. And Kitten is now a church planter, and Arun is working with him, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So pray without doubt. Another story um, is me being blacklisted in 2017. I was blacklisted from the country that, I'm, that I've been in. And everybody in my community was kicked out. And we got it confirmed in a couple different sources that my name was blacklisted as well. And so we prayed. We prayed. And we felt like God was telling us to pray without doubt. Now, we, I was scared a lot of times. And I did. I wasn't always without doubt. But mostly I was without doubt. It wasn't perfect to pray without doubt, to pray without doubt. And, and just pray, God, do a miracle. Let me back in the country that I love. God, please, please, God, do a miracle, God. And uh, my kids were praying, and we felt God raising up in us this, this holy sense of belief, believing him for the impossible, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm blacklisted, y'all. I'm going to get kicked out. And I have to leave the country. That was September 2017. I took an exit to Sri Lanka, and I waited 24 hours, and I felt like God was saying, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I just came right back in the country, and for the first time ever in my life of going and coming for years and years, they didn't question me. They didn't look at me. They just stamped my passport and said, mm, just let me, back, let me back in the country. And so praying without doubt, that's, that's an example. I have a ton of other examples. Um, I'll give you one more cool one. Um, we prayed for a building for our bigger boys. They were becoming older teenagers and they needed a place to live. We said, God, we'd love to put a little building right here in the, in the corner. You know, three bedrooms, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, just for our older boys so they can have independence, you know. And, uh, and we prayed our hearts out for two hours one night, contending for two hours, praying without doubt. We stopped. We said, thank you, God, for doing it. We went back and went inside, and we didn't think about it again. Three days later, I get an email. I get an email from a friend, and he said, Tammy, send me the email you just sent out a week ago, or a few days ago. And I said, well, I haven't sent an email out in a long time. He said, yeah, yeah, you sent one out three days ago. And I said... Okay, I sent him one I sent a month ago, and I sent him the last month's email. I said, here it is. He said, no, Tammy, three days ago you sent an email out asking for money for a building. You said you needed a place for your big boys. He said, you even mentioned Gopi and Kiran and, and, and all these boys in Arun, and you mentioned, you mentioned Ambalahan, you mentioned these boys in your email. And I was thinking, I never sent an email like that. 
So he works at a church office and he went around asking people, did you get the email from Tammy? And they're just like, no. And he calls me back and says, I think God sent me an email. <laughs> was I hearing God? And he told me what happened. And I said, you won't believe this, but three, you know, three days ago, whatever it was, a week ago, on the very time he got the email, we prayed. We prayed hard for a new building for our older boys. And he, he was a retired gentleman. And he had just read a book that I had sent a bunch of people called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he had just read that book and he said, I think I know what God wants me to do with some of my retirement money. I think I'm supposed to build you guys a house in the back for your big boys. And he sent all the money that we needed right then. And that's how we got a place for our bigger boys. So um, the prayers of a believing person are powerful and effective. You know, um, the, the, uh, the third kind of thing and the hardest one to talk about is to pray without offense. To pray without offense. Um, I know this is not really a word, but I'm, I'd like to maybe propose that it should become one. Unoffendable. I think that God wants to give us unoffendable hearts. Hearts that cannot be offended, no matter what. I think about a friend of mine across the street at Asbury. When I was there, he, he was in a coma. We prayed without doubt. We prayed without ceasing. We prayed for a miracle, and he passed away. You know, devastating. I think about one of my little girls. Her name was Kale. Same thing. She came, uh, a long-lost relative showed up and kind of wanted her back for the wrong reasons and the wrong way at the wrong time. We prayed. We prayed without ceasing. We prayed without doubt. I've never seen her again. That was 14 years ago. So, so praying without offense is a thing. My, and then my personal nightmare, I'll tell you what, I might, I might uh, okay. My personal nightmare, I'm not scared of cobras. I've seen a lot of them, king cobras, Brussels vipers. I've helped to kill one one time by accident. I'm not afraid of machete-wielding bad guys, disease. I'm really not afraid of much. But there's one thing I'm, I was always scared of. It was my number one fear. I was getting kicked out of India, being separated from my family that God built there over the past 23, 24 years. You know, I had no plans ever for coming back to America. I had no plans, no savings, no insurance, no retirement, no second life in America kind of holding in a, in a, in a storage room. Like, it was all India 100%. And my biggest fear, and I've been blacklisted once, and, I've been, and now the second time came, and, the, and I started getting questioned. And I started getting questioned. And in that time, they started calling me and summoning me for interrogation. It was horrible. I had to go to the authorities, the, the, the foreign office, and they would just question me and, and, and threaten me and yell at me and throw things and just try to scare the heck out of me. And it went on and on for, you know, for a, about three months. And then a year and a half ago, they came up to me and said, you're a threat to national security. We know you've been involved in Christian ministry. We may not be able to prove it 100%, but you're not welcome in this country anymore. You have one week. You can each pack a bag, me and my daughter, my youngest. And I was just devastated. And nothing, you know, we had been praying. I had asked thousands of people to pray for me. There was tons of people praying for me all over the world. And guess what? I was kicked out. It's my worst nightmare come true. So when these things happen, while heartbroken, guess what? My faith didn't die. It didn't die with John dying at Asbury. It didn't die when Kale was never returned to us. And it didn't die when I was kicked out of India, my worst nightmare. 
Why not? The reason why not is because my faith was in the man and his goodness and his character and his personality and who he was as a person, his heart for me, his affection. I'd pray without doubt. Yeah, check. Pray without ceasing. Check. But now it's, just, it's you know, God had been building in me also through the years this idea of praying without offense. You know, praying without offense. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think about them and I think, wow, what did they say when they were faced with a fiery furnace in Daniel 3? God, we know our God is able and he will do it. But even if he doesn't. And that's what I think represents a really good scriptural reference to having an unoffendable heart. We believe you can. You are able. Actually, we believe you will do it. But even if you don't, 